nobody can be as brutally honest like a child. One child wrote a letter to his aunt that went like this, Dear Aunt Sarah, thank you for the Christmas present that you sent me. The present you sent me for Christmas was almost as good as the one I really wanted. When God gave us his Christmas present in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, without question, he gave us a greater gift than we could have ever imagined or wanted. And in the verses we're going to study today, John gives us the theology of Christmas. Unlike the other gospel writers, God was not concerned so much about the the where and when of, uh, uh, of Christmas as he was the who and why uh, of Christmas. And John assumed the reality of the, the, the manger, but he wanted us to understand the revelation of the manger. When you compare John to Matthew and Luke and, and Mark, you, uh, you'll discover quickly that John was not the broadest writer. He wasn't, uh, uh, he was uh, definitely, uh, definitely the deepest, but uh, you read nothing in John's gospel about the birth of Jesus. You, uh, matter of fact, as, as you go through, you, uh, you don't read about the manger, the angels, the shepherds, or uh, Bethlehem. John doesn't talk about the, the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, or, or uh, you read nothing about the Garden of Gethsemane. Not one of the 39 parables that Jesus told are found in John's gospel. I find that uh, just absolutely amazing as you do so. But Bible scholars tell us that in the original language, John only used a total of 600 different words. I was like, <laughs> he wrote on a 7th grade reading level, yet John, without question, was the most profound theological or theologian of the gospel writers. You, uh, you, you look, and uh, John was, was not a, a wordy writer, but he was definitely a weighty one. And in our verses in the, in the beginning of John, in the, uh, we see uh, John gives us enough truth and enough theology about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to fill up five books and 65,000 words. Someone was, has well said this about the passage, never has so much been said in so few words. Unlike Matthew and Luke, who look at the birth of Jesus primarily through the eyes of man, John looks at the birthday of a king through the eyes of God, and so it's my prayer today that the Holy Spirit of God, that he would speak and help us to appreciate the, the greatest Christmas gift ever given, the Christ of Christmas. And so uh, let's begin reading John chapter number 1, and uh, beginning in verse number 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, and I ask that you would add blessing to it. Father, that you would speak in our hearts and our lives, grow us as only you can do. And as you see fit today, Father, I ask that you would uh, give uh, wisdom and, and recall those things that have been studied. And then, Lord, that the words that would touch these lips would be the words that you'd have spoken today. Not my words, but yours. And Father, we, uh, we pray these things in, in, uh, in Jesus' name, the name that's above everything. Amen. 
word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father of grace and truth. The verse is obviously a reference to the incarnate Christ. John identifies Jesus as, as the word in an unmistakable fashion. So there's no mistake about who Jesus is. He's eternally God. God John begins by telling us, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was Jesus, and uh, this phrase does not uh, refer to a start, it refers to a, a state. The word didn't just have a, a temporal start, he existed in an eternal state. The first three words are very recognizable because they begin in the first book of the Bible. They, uh, uh, there is uh, a major difference. In Genesis you look forward from these words to the creation of man, but in John we look backward from these words to the existence of God. We, we look and you go, wait a second, you see Jesus is, is not just from the beginning, he is the beginning. And therefore he was before the beginning because he had no beginning. The word was in the Greek language is the imperfect tense which signifies an action of the past that continues into the present. So that would translate this way, in the beginning was the word, is the word, and always will be the word. I like that. Before the cosmos there was Christ. Before the, uh, there was a sun to shine, a moon to glow, a star to twinkle, or a river to flow, there was Jesus. Hallelujah. You go, they're like God the Father, God the Son, never had a beginning, never will have an ending. And the Lord Jesus eternally existed in a, in a time when there was no time. And now lives in a place where there is no time. Jesus had his birth in Bethlehem, but not his beginning. In other words... There never was a time when Jesus was not God, and there never was a time when Jesus was not. Jesus is the only person ever born at the moment of his birth was older than his mother and older than his father. Try that one on. <laughs> well, yeah. A few years ago, a couple of months before Christmas, the, the wife of a mail carrier had uh, been killed in a car accident. The mail carrier had had been overcome with grief and was, was uh, trying to work through his sorrow and he stayed late at his post office sorting through the mountain of mail that always comes in at Christmas time and his job that day was to go through the mail that had been lost and to find out where, where it was to be rerouted, where was it to go. Well, he opened the letter that was addressed to Santa Claus and he noticed that at the top of the letter was his own address. Look at the bottom of the letter and he saw that it was his only daughter's signature and the letter read dear santa my mommy died a few months uh, two months ago and since then my daddy's been crying himself to sleep every night he says only eternity will heal him would you please send a little bit of eternity to my dad this christmas would you give a little bit well god's not only sent a little bit of eternity but he sent the very heart of heaven as John put it later in his epistle, the Father had sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We, uh, we look and you, you, you go, his, uh, his equality with God, the reason why Jesus is called the Word is because he was a, a, the perfect expression of God, being God himself, a, a Word that is, uh, is the visible expression of an invisible thought. You, you can uh, see what I'm thinking by what I'm saying. Jesus was the visible expression of an invisible God. But this word was with God. The word was with literally means toward or facing, could be translated face to face. He was up close with God. 
Now this is a, a reference to the Trinity. It reminds us that God is a one God manifested in three persons. When you study the Bible, you find out that the Trinity is, the, uh, is as old as the first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God is Elohim which in plural, it carries with it a single verb. In, in Genesis 1.26, when God decided to create man, he said, let us make man in our image. For God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all involved in the creation. So exciting. You say, preacher, it's Jesus we're talking about, right? You bet. Right from the very beginning. Now, there were those who... who immediately accuse us of worshiping three gods. They say, well, one plus one plus one equals three. And their math is right, but the theology is wrong. You could go one times one times one equals one. We worship one God, but that one God has manifest himself, expressed himself through three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Even the universe in which we live expresses the triune God in which we worship. See, this triune universe... It's made up of space, time, and matter. We look at it and you go, "There, that's pretty simple. Or these three things are also make up, uh, uh, made up of, of three. We could uh, uh, walk through in space is length, breadth, and height. And matter is energy, motion, and substance. Time is past, present, and future. Man himself is body, soul, and spirit. So John clues us in at the beginning that Jesus Christ, whom he writes about, and the Holy Spirit, whom he says more about than any other gospel and any of the other gospel writers, are both God. In the latter part of the verse, uh, uh, verse one is the plainest statement in the Bible about the deity of Jesus. The word was God. He is God. He was God. That's why Jesus could say, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." That's why Jesus could say, I and my Father are one. He's the one who could, uh, who, who could ever say that of his Father. For example, I and my Father are two because I am not my dad. We are two different people. I, uh, I, we are way different. But Jesus could say, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the other. Over and over, Jesus proved that, that he was God in the flesh. He was God in his power. He could say to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And they would lay down like little whipped puppies at his feet. He was God in his pardon. He could say to a, to a man lame, not, uh, not only get up and walk, but he could say your sins are forgiven. He was God in his position. People would come and bow down before him, worship him, and he would accept their, their worship. He was, was God in his, his perception. He, he could tell a woman at the well that he'd never met, that she had five husbands and was living with a man that was not her husband. And because of this, definitely God in his person. Now John gives a real eye-opener because he says all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made. That, that picture. Here we learn two other things about the Lord Jesus. We will learn that he's the maker of creation. Given the answer to the question, who, who created the world, God or Jesus? The, the answer to that question is yes. I know the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But that God was none other than God the Son. 
come along and a little boy was talking to his mother one time and he said, Mama, who made the moon? And the mother said, God made the moon. The little boy said, well then, who made the stars? Mom says, God made the stars too. The little boy said, who made the trees? Mom says, God made the trees too, son. Well, the little boy obviously becoming more and more frustrated with the same answer coming around. And finally he said, I want to ask this question. Doesn't Jesus ever do anything? See, Jesus was not a created being. He was a creator being. That little newborn baby in Luke 2 was also the great creator, God creator of Genesis 1.1. You see, we not only learn in verse 1 the that Jesus was beyond creation. We learn in verse 3 that Jesus is behind creation. And the creator of creation became a creature in creation. Down from his glory, ever living story, the great creator came and Jesus is his name. He's the master of creation. Because Jesus is the creator of all things, he's also the controller. We go to Colossians chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17 and we could read in over there where he says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and, and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. See the word consist literally means to hold together. Jesus is the one holding all of it together. He is the glue of the galaxy. See, puny man can't even make the, the trains run on time, let alone make the planets come around. Realize that it does not travel in a true circle. We run this earth around and around. It doesn't run in a true circle. It travels in, in, uh, in, in directions. You look at it and you go, wait a second, it revolves on its axis. It travels around the sun, and its path is deflected by other planets. Three directions. Sounds like chaos, and yet he's got it perfectly in control at all times. It doesn't lose more than one one-hundredth of a second every 100 years. We can only say that Jesus is in control. When we look at the the building block of the universe, the atom, an entity so small that each atom is less than 150 millionth of an inch in diameter. If you could take the molecules of a single drop of water, convert them to the grains of sand, there would be enough sand to build a concrete ha a highway half a mile uh, wide, one foot thick, all the way from New York to San Francisco. Think about that mess. Brother Jeff, I thought about that, and I thought it would take a lot of Brian's to make sure all those people were safe building that thing. <laughs> Combine that with the, with the fact that one cell from our body contains 200 billion molecules of atoms. Whether you look at the universe with a telescope where you see how big it is, or whether you look at the universe with a microscope and you see how small it is. When you see the order, the symmetry, the harmony, and the beauty of it all, only a fool would fa fail to conclude that there is 
anything other than a God to control. And that's why the Proverbs, the wise man could say, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So far we've learned some simple truths. The Lord Jesus, God's dear son, was was God in the flesh, co-equal, co-eternal with God. We learned Jesus is, is was the agent of creation, not uh, uh, one thing has been made without him. But the creator was not content with just creating a creation. Now the creator wants to become a, a creature of his own creation. Why? To bring life to the dead. In him was life, he was the light of men in verse number four. Now only the dead need life. But this world is full of walking corpses who don't even realize they're dead. I heard about a farmer years ago who was trying to teach his son the ways of, of life on the farm. And he looked, uh, he took his son out to the hen house, grabbed a chicken and, and said, Son, your mama wants chicken for dinner. So you know what we have to do. With that, he cut off the chicken's head. The chicken began to flop around on the ground. And well, the little boy's eyes got wide with amazement. And he said, Daddy, look at that. There's a chicken that's dead and doesn't even know it. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Every person without Jesus is dead. Not uh, is dead because not uh, uh, because Jesus not only has life and therefore gives life. Jesus is life. Jesus is the strength of earthly life. We we may not realize, but but we're only alive this moment because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we wouldn't be here at all. We look at it and you go, there's, a, there's that picture. The only reason our, our heart beats, the, the only reason our lungs breathe, the only reason that we walk and we talk at this moment is because of the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus. When Job lost his family, they were killed. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Job realized that the strength of, of all earthly life comes from God. But Jesus is also the secret of, of an effective life. John said, uh, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That you might have it more abundantly. It's been said three things will make life worth living. A self fit for, to live, a faith fit to live by, and a purpose fit to live for. Well, only Jesus can give you all three things. Jesus can make you the person fit to live with. Only Jesus can be the object of faith fit to live by, and only Jesus can give you a purpose fit to live for. But Jesus is also the source of eternal life. Jesus said in John 11, 25 and 26, he said, Jesus said to, to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He, believe, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Greatest verse in, in all the scripture. We, we all know it. We could walk through and go, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For the, you, you walk through and you go, well, yes, we, we got it, but how's it end? He tells us that all those who believe, they what? Will have everlasting, eternal life. 
We look and you go, there's that everlasting, that eternal life. Life is more than walking, talking, breathing, eating, sleeping, dying. Real life is abundant, joyful life. It's knowing God through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so much more than getting up and going to work on Monday morning. Hallelujah. It is so much more, so much more than pillowing our head at night because we're wore out. And again, hallelujah. It is so much more. So much more. And to bring light to the the dark, you realize as he walks through in verse number 5, he said, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see, a person without Jesus is not only spiritually dead, but they're spiritually darkened. Jesus said in, in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Paul said to the Ephesians, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. God called the apostle Paul to preach the gospel to a lost world, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. You see, Jesus not only came to regenerate the dead, but he came to illuminate the dark. The first thing God said to the dark world was, let there be light, and there was light. The first thing God does for a lost sinner is give him light that he might see. We look at it, and you look out, and we go, hmm, we exit the doors. And how many folks do we see that that, that they have some kind of scales that are over their eyes because they're dark in this world? They have no clue that the Lord Jesus is just waiting to save them. He's been knocking on their heart's door and that's the the anguish that they feel or the emptiness that they feel or the wantonness that they feel is that Jesus is there saying, hey, I I want a relationship with you. I don't want this thing to be a thing where you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and I get up and I'm, I'm no different than when I got up. I want to be that one that changes your life. I want you to get so close. I want to have the relationship that the the that kind of relationship that grows and builds. You see, Jesus not only came to, to regenerate, he came to illuminate. One of the most beautiful ver- verses in Scripture, uh, in my opinion, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, when it says, For it is the great for it is the, the God, it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is so heartbreaking is to see that there's a world stumbling around in the dark looking for light in all the wrong places. I thought of that old country song that comes to my mind. And I said, hmm, tell me that author didn't have it all wrong. Looking for love in too many places. Bam! I was like, wow. Hello. That's a simple example. But if we were to walk through and you go, look at all of those, those, those pictures. I read a story about a drunk that was down on off war late one night under a street light. And he's groping around on the ground and he's feeling the cement. He's trying to find something and he's searching. And a friend walked up to him and says, Sam, what are you doing there? And he said, well, I've lost my wallet. I lost my wallet. So the friend got down on his hands and his knees and they're, they're both searching for the man's wallet and neither one of them can find it. And finally the friend says to his, his drunk buddy, he says, are you sure? Are you sure you lost your wallet here? Well, no. He 
says. In fact, I dropped it half a block back over there. Then why are you searching over here? Because there's no street light over there. See, the other sad thing is that people either refuse to come to the light when they find it or they reject it they, when they do find it. Jesus went on to say in John 3.19 that this is the, the condemnation, that the lights come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. See, the word here in, in verse 5 for comprehended is the word that literally means to quench or to to overcome the world for 2,000 years has tried to put out the light of the world feverishly trying to, to extinguish the light who is the light the Lord Jesus Christ well, I want to give you some good news today the faintest light cannot be quenched by the deepest darkness as a matter of fact the deep, deeper the dark the brighter the light an inscription found on a small gravestone after a devastating air raid on Great Britain during World War II gained national attention. People thought it was a, a famous quotation, but it really wasn't. It was simply the words of a, a lonely old lady whose little dog was, was killed by a bomb. And she wrote these words on the tombstone. She said, there is not enough darkness in all the world to put out the light one small Only God could give the man, give man the greatest gift of all, and he did it through the Lord Jesus. Only the Lord Jesus can give man the greatest gift of all, and that is life for his dead soul, light to a darkened heart. Reverend E.P. Scott, pioneer missionary to India, came up on a on a savage band of natives on a on a war expedition. They they seized him and they pointed their, their war spears at him, directly at his heart, and feeling utterly helpless, the missionary, not knowing what else to do, pulled out his violin, and, and he began to play. And he began to sing in their native language. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And he closed his eyes, expecting death at any moment, but when nothing happened after singing the third stanza, he opened his eyes. And to his amazement, he saw that the spears had fallen from the hands of his captors, and tears had filled their eyes. They invited him to their homes, and and through the years, he won many of them to, to, to Jesus Christ. You realize only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can give life to a dead soul. And only Jesus can give light to a darkened heart because he is the Christ of Christmas. I said it last Sunday night. Wow. I uh, just overwhelmed. We looked across the sanctuary and say, if you missed out, I, I'm sorry you missed out. Um, best we could count, we had about 70, maybe a little bit short of 70 folks who were sitting in the sanctuary last Sunday evening. A tremendous crowd. 
thankful for that. But I made a statement, and I believe it to be true. You can stop a lot of things. You can stop a lot of things. And you can hold up our economy. You can hold up a, a whole lot of our world. And you can make things look real funny this year. But there is one thing that doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to stop it. You're not going to stop the Christ. Somebody comes afterward up and says, Preacher, I felt that tug on my heart. I felt that tug on my heart. Yeah. Tell me more. We sat down on one of the pews down front here. Took time. Introduced him to the gospel. What a privilege. Because what does he seek to do? I was going through Bible college. This portion of scripture I can give to you from memory. I had to memorize. RJ went and pulled the clip. Well, he didn't have to memorize all of it, I don't think. Miss Rachel's to her too. They were in there with me. I had to memorize. We had to memorize this whole first chapter. Don't ask me to do it again because that was rough. But I'll never forget when you take these first five verses. I remember our professor going, those first five describe something very simple. And it brings verse number 12 to life. When he says, but as many as received him, to them Even to them that believe on his name. As many as have received him. You know the greatest Christmas gift of all time. I could go through and I love to ask the kids questions and play with them about this. But what's your greatest Christmas gift? What's your greatest Christmas gift? You're all those. But you know the greatest Christmas gift of all time. Thank you.